Amen. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, team. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, last week, uh, many of you were praying for myself and J.D. Uh, J.D. Duick and his family are going back to Senegal. They're uh, one of our international workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, so they're leaving here at the end of June. We're actually going to have them here in the middle of June to pray for them and send them off. But we drove down with a U-Haul this past week, J.D. and I, with all their possessions and left them at the, the shipping place and then actually went over to Ikea and bought a bunch of furniture and then offloaded that and headed back home. So uh, last week, one of the things that happened was uh, we had, uh, or I guess, uh, yeah, a week, a week, eight days ago, we had our men's shootout and I won first place um, shoot thing for ages 30 up through 49 brackets. So, uh, oh, well, there, there we are. This is a couple pictures of JD and my trip. Before we do that, I, yes, I know the screen's messed up. We're getting used to this new building, so this is my fault. I'm trying to figure out how to, it should say living up there with the circle, but it doesn't. So we'll figure it out. So anyway, this is JD Duick, and, and he wanted to wear my medal. So uh, we, we, we took the medal with us on our trip. So uh, this is JD and I, oh, that's the Corvette I won at the shootout too, but couldn't drive that with us. So we left that here, but that's my medal again. I was just checking it out. Here's Mitchell. That's the guy taking the picture. He was at the loading docks. He helped us. He liked the medal too a lot. He was pretty impressed by the medal. Uh, that's the Ikea lady. She liked the medal as well. So uh, <laughs> we ate at Longhorn. JD really liked, we shared it most of the trip. He would wear it some, and then I'd wear it some. So there is that. And then the, the lady at Longhorn. So just, uh, I'm going to use this thing all year long. Trust me. <laughs> oh, so anyway, we're on a sermon series here, going through uh, the vision of our church here in the month of May. And uh, the first week we talked about Freshwater. Uh, obviously, the name of our church is Freshwater, and where do we get that name, and what's, what's the vision behind that? And it comes from Ezekiel 47, and Freshwater is a metaphor for the presence of God. And when you read the passage there, it talks about this scene where the freshwater fills the temple up and then starts to overflow the temple, and it courses out to the east into the desert and actually ends up in the Dead Sea, and everything it touches turns to life. And it's a metaphor for the presence of God and people. And what God wants and what we believe the vision is, and that's why our name is Freshwater, is God wants his presence to be in us and to so fill us that it overflows us and it transforms our lives and it brings healing and it brings food. That's what his presence does. But it flows out of our lives into the desert places and the dead seas of the lives of people and the communities in this world. That's the vision of freshwater. You can see it. It's, it's not hard to explain. Just picture it in your mind. That's what God wants to do in our church and in our lives. Practically speaking, what does that look like? And we started to talk about that, and that's what we're doing here over these next three weeks. Last Sunday, we talked about Christ being approached and saying, what, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Love is the, the, if you want to know the practical way this work out, works out, it's first of all, living up, meaning 
connecting with God, loving God. And we talked about who God was, this transcendent and all-powerful, all-knowing, and the essence of God and how other he is from us. And yet, God is also our Father, relates to us as a brother, the Son, and the Spirit, who is our counselor living in us. And, and, and that we're called to live up living all the time in this idea of relationship and love for him. And everything we do and everything that we are is about that connection. Today we're going to talk about the other half, the second commandment, which is to love others. To live in. Now, if you read Jesus' life, he gives this command, but he starts to unpack this, and there's two contexts he talks about in terms of loving others. There's, there is the context of the family of God, those who would call themselves disciples, Christ followers, and there are those who do not identify themselves with Christ. And we're going to go to one of those passages. I encourage you to, to turn to John chapter 13 if you have your Bibles, and we're just going to take some time and read a story here. And it's a seminal moment where Jesus creates the two groups. He creates intentionally this group of disciples, disciples, and he says, you all are the family, and this is how I want you to relate to each other. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. And skipping on, he, he talks a little bit more, but he comes here to this moment in verse 34, and he says, a new commandment, which is interesting. I'm giving a new commandment. Love one another. Now, this isn't just love everyone. He's saying love one another. Just as I have loved you, also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Here's the, here's the new category think, he's thinking in. You're my disciples if you have love for one another. 
The second greatest commandment is to love each other as you love yourself, right? But he comes and he says, I want to give you a new commandment. The love you have as disciples is going to be distinct and everybody's going to know you for that kind of love. Living in. Connecting with God's family. You know, in Jesus' day, washing people's feet was nasty business. You walk roads that animals had walked on, sheep, goats, horses, dogs, donkeys, any number of things. And those roads were not nice. I mean, we, we have our little bloop tip parade coming here, and they actually have somebody that follows the horses to clean up the mess. Nobody was following any animals. So these roads were foul. So these guys would come in and they would recline their heads towards the middle of the room. They didn't sit, they didn't have chairs. They would lay down, head towards the center of the table, their feet pointed outwards. And as society would have it, it was the lowest man on the totem pole, sociologically speaking. Whoever was there that had the lowest status would clean everybody's feet. So here they are, they're done with supper. And no one's cleaned anybody's feet which is telling. Nobody wanted to humble themselves. Nobody wanted to think, oh, well, I'll do it. Nobody wanted to serve. Nobody wanted to love. And Jesus gets up and he lowers himself yet again and he washes their feet. And he says, people are going to know you're part of the family of God, that you are a Christ follower by your love for each other. It's maybe wonder, how famous do you think our love is for each other? How famous is your love for people in, in the church? And not the people you just find it easy to love, but the people that annoy the snot out of you. That happens here. I mean, if, if you're visiting, I'm sorry, but uh, we sometimes annoy each other and get angry with each other. And he says, your love for each other is going to be famous. I just heard of a small group, Fred Lance, a uh, longtime attender, had a stroke this past fall, hasn't lived in Wadsworth. He now lives up in the Farallon area. And his small group all went up to be with them. That's, that's famous love, right? That's just because you're sick and you had to move away, we haven't forgot you, you're still a part of us. Are we famous for our love? Are you famous for your love? And it's, and it's really not even our love. I don't know if we can even claim that. I don't know. We shouldn't even claim that because it's Christ's love in us. Are we famous for his love pouring through us? That's what living in is about. 1 Corinthians 13 has all these descriptions of this kind of love. Love is patient, kind. It's not envy, it does not boast. It's not self-seeking. It's not proud. It's not rude. It goes on and on and on. It does not keep record of wrongs. Rejoices with the truth. When you think about love in the context of being a disciple, being a Christ follower, there's 
there's two real contexts. There's capital C church, and that's church global, church regional, like United States, church even state, church even broader local, capital C. There's this love that we get when we become part of the family of God where we can love perfect strangers and and there's a bond that happens with those who are part of the family of God. We hear stories of what happens to our brothers and sisters around the world and do you ever have those moments where you're grieving when you hear of persecution? You're crying when you see churches destroyed. Do you find yourself praying for them? Do you love them, maybe even support them? Does your heart break to the point that it's even sacrificial and inconvenient? I know our high schoolers have been supporting some students down in Guatemala at that uh, that place where they were visiting last fall. And I know some families themselves were moved when they saw these young Christian brothers and sisters who had no opportunity for education and, and they're giving money, they're writing letters. That's what happens in the family of God when you live in. Do you ever pray for the the saints in Iran? Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, Sudan, Egypt, Libya, Niger, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Somalia, I mean, you just look at all North Africa, China. Or do we just sit around loving ourselves? See, there's something about living in where we get our eyes off of just ourselves and we start to realize, wait a minute, we're part of a larger family and what happens to them happens to us and has affected us. And some of you may need to actually get out of Wadsworth in Ohio and go to a different country and need to worship in a church in a different country. And you sit there and you realize this family is so big and there's this bond that is so supernatural. How does that happen? And you will be ruined. You will. You'll be ruined for life. All of a sudden, worship is so much bigger than just one expression what we know. You hear God worship in Russian or in Spanish or Fula, that's what JD speaks, French. And you start to understand what it means to live in. Living in is not only just about the global, regional idea. Living in is also about the local church, us right here. This body of believers. Hebrews talks about this idea. It says in chapter 10, it says, let's see how inventive we can be. This is the message version. Let's Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. There's, a, there's an aspect to this Sunday morning, this meeting time, that encourages love. 
You ever thought about that? That this actually builds love. It's a huge piece of, of what it means to be in. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that we can know everybody in this room. Even in the other church, when you hit about 150, you really don't know anybody. And even if we're at 180 to 100, you still don't really know everybody because it's hard to know everybody and what really is going on. But there's something about the gathering of God's people to worship together. And there's a couple aspects of it. One of them is the idea that we do do this together. Do you realize that one of the most loving things you could do is to come and worship God and let other people see you worship? Now, that doesn't mean you have to start performing. You just be yourself. But people are watching you. And people may know what's going on in your life. And when you come and you start worshiping God, despite what's going on in your life, it says something to other people about your love. And it encourages, what Hebrew says is it encourages love in the body. I'll never forget the service I went to as a memorial service up in Missoula. And I think I may have shared this one time. It was a young couple in our church. They had a, a child, uh, a young boy who was, I think, two or three years old and somehow figured out, and he'd never been able to do this. Mom was on the phone distracted, figured out how to open door after door, gate after gate, got out to their pool, which had always locked down with doors and everything. Somehow got in there and fell in the pool and drowned. And I remember the memorial service. I'll never forget it. When mom and dad were in the front row and we're singing, they said, we want worship songs. We want to worship God and we want people to know that God is in the middle of this and that God can be trusted and God still deserves to be worshiped. I remember nobody's standing as we're singing this one song and this couple just stands. I'll never forget it. Never forget it. Your presence here during this time of worship encourages love. It encourages people to love God and it builds love between you and others in ways you may never know. Not only that, there, there's something about, we do do this together and while we can't know everybody, we can know some and we talk about this idea of knowing your hood. And uh, knowing the, the row or two in front of you, knowing the row or two in back of you. And, and it may be awkward and it's difficult. It's hard. Some of you, this is like washing feet, sticking out your hand and saying, hi, my name is. That's hard. In fact, I was talking to somebody after the service. They said, I'd rather wash feet than have to do that. And uh, this, this gal works in the OR. She's been in the OR 40 years at the same hospital. She's retiring here in, in less than a year. She says, the reason I do with the OR is I only have to talk to a person for about three to five minutes and then they're out. She says, that's about all I got. And uh, she says, I'm really good at that. But that's hard for some of us, right? To say hello, to be outgoing, or at least say hi. But do you realize how many times I've heard over the years that somebody saying hi, somebody remembering my name, has been the difference between them walking away from God and walking towards God? Just one hello 
Don't underestimate how God has put you there and designed us all as creatures of habit. I talked to another couple. They, they've lived in the, they, were, they, they sat in the same hood at the old church. Now, they didn't coordinate this at all. But here, this happened today. The lights were out. They couldn't, well, not lie, I went down. They couldn't see everything. Actually, this happened last week or two weeks when it was really dark. They couldn't find each other. They didn't know where everybody was sitting. They end up not knowing where they were until the lights came on and they realized, oh, this is twisted. We're right next to the same people we always sit to. We need help. Part of it is the family. Being next to people and knowing people. And, and here's what God may be saying to you about what it means to live in. Is this something that is convenient to you on Sunday mornings? Or is it something you're committed to? Convenient meaning you, you come maybe once a month, once every six weeks when it's convenient. Commitment is you come because you're committed to living this out. And so you come when you're in town. You're committed. And it's not just about you, it's about others. And your presence here, you realize, is one, glorifying God, it's living up, but it's also living in, it's doing both at the same time. And sometimes it's you receiving love and sometimes it's your presence that's giving and communicating love. Is God saying it's time for you maybe to move past just convenience and into commitment? Living in, when we start getting into this body, it's not only about this large group time, but it's also in the smaller group context that you start to see love really get tangible. And when we get to smaller group context, then we start to hear these words that we're called to of discipleship and fellowship and serving. I want to talk about these and just, and it's a very practical thing here of what does it look like when we start to get into smaller group context and, and see this love really get personal. And the first is this idea of fellowship where authenticity happens and accountability happens. And there's this call on our lives to get into each other's lives. James says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. Well, we don't do that here in a large group. We're not going to ask people to come up and confess their sins to everyone. It's just inappropriate. It's not the way it goes. That happens in a smaller group context. It may happen between just a couple people. I was talking to a small group leader between services. He says, man, it happens in our small group. We just all let it hang out. He's like, everybody didn't grow up in the church in our small group, and so nobody knows any better. He says, it's really refreshing. He says, everybody's honest. I'm struggling. Oh, I really messed up. He says, but it's safe. It's safe. We're not trying to condone it, and we don't want people to stay there, and people don't. But that's not going to happen here. That kind of authenticity, that kind of accountability happens in a smaller group context. It just does. You can't live that stuff out in a large group. Paul says in Thessalonians, it says, Brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. It, those kind of things don't happen here because it's hard to know everybody and hard to know what's really going on. They happen in a small group context where people start to see your mess and you start to see theirs. And that's where love starts to get famous. 
because we stay with each other even though we start to see the mess. And we stay committed to each other when the mess starts to splash up on everybody else. And being authentic, being transparent is the last thing some of you would ever do. Like scale of zero to 10, 10 being like, hey, this is me, let it all hang out. Zero being, I got walls, serious walls. Some of you are living in the walls. You would never be accused of getting out of your wall, your little tiny fortress. But living in means you open the door and you start walking out or you start letting people in or you start taking down the wall and realizing that is not how Christ would have us live. And for some of you, that would be like washing feet or you'd rather wash feet. Part of being in this fellowship is listening as well. Larry Crabb, I think I've shared this before, but Larry Crabb, famous Christian psychologist, actually had a school of psychology, a graduate-level program at uh, Colorado Christian University out in Denver. He built this thing, got it going, all these students. It was a, a pretty famous school. He ended up shutting it down because the longer he was in it, the more convinced he was that what the church needed and what America needed was not more psychologists, but was actually for the church to behave as a church should behave, which is, would you listen to each other? The longer I I live and I'm around people, the more I realize most people don't want to listen. Most people want to be heard. How good are you at just listening and asking questions? Or do you find that you're the one talking all the time? You want to know what famous love looks like? It may be just listening. Just shutting your mouth and listening. And then praying. And asking God to do something. I think a lot of people would much rather wash feet than listen. Are you listening to those around you? Are you hearing what's going on? Not just their words, but what's going on in their heart. Part of living in is fellowship. Part of living in is discipleship. Discipleship is this idea of learning, growing. And and one can either disciple someone or one can be a disciple, be discipled. And it's learning and growing to become more like Christ. So you think about your life, where are you right now? Are, are you in, there's seasons where we are discipled and there's seasons where we disciple. Jesus says though, he gives this command, he says, I want you now to go into this whole world and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's Matthew chapter 28. It's this call that as we live life together, we live in and we love, we are discipling or being discipled. You scale of one to 10 
on how much you understand about the Bible, about God. This is just cognitive. Are you, are you starting out and you're a zero or a one? Are you 10 and you've been, you know so much, you've been in every class, you've been doing this. If you're over here on a zero or one, you better get into context where you're learning. It's great. But if you're over here and you've just been soaking it up for decades, it's time to disciple. You are the older Christian. You are the mature Christian. It's time to give it away. And, and maybe God is stirring your heart right now. I don't know. Maybe you're hearing him say, yeah, I need you to do more than just soak in. Maybe you need to start discipling. And what does that look like? I, I don't know. It can look like all kinds of things. It can look like holding a baby. But holding a baby can be discipling, especially if it's a formative year, if it's, such, if it's as formative as what we hear, praying over a baby, blessing a baby, speaking words of truth over a baby, that's discipling. I don't know. Teaching kids, that's discipling. Working with the youth, that's discipling. Leading a small group, that's discipling. And you may think, man, I don't even have a clue how to do that. Welcome to the club. I'm leading a church, and, and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I've never led a church this size. I mean, we're barely holding this thing together. I mean, we look at our staff. I mean, staff meetings, you'd be unnerved sometimes. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we don't. We pray. That's about the only best thing we know how to do is we pray. But God is crazy like that. He calls us into situations where we don't know what we're doing. We're outmatched. We're outgifted. We're out everything. And God says, I got you right where I want you. You're going to be fine. Are you in a place where you need to be discipled? Or are you in a place where you need to disciple Living in is about fellowship and discipleship, and it's also about serving. Love is expressed as we serve others. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, the body does not consist, body being us, the church, right, does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the whole body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And he goes on to talk about how God has equipped us and gifted us each in specific ways to build up this body. Living in, though, starts with this idea that God has arranged it. That's what Paul says. God has arranged the members in each body. So you sitting here today, this church being your home, you're here for a very specific reason. You're here to serve in some way. 
We, we say everyone is, is a 10 in some area. We don't say everyone is a 10 in every area. We say everyone is a 10 in an area because that's what the Bible teaches. They're spiritually gifted, anointed to serve in ways that build up the body. Do you know what your gifts are, your spiritual gifts? You ever studied that? You can know those things. We want you to know those things and operate in those things. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, we can help you with that. If you're not serving, you're like an eye that says, well, because I'm not an ear, I don't belong. The body's breaking down. Famous love is seen as people serve. And in serving, sometimes it's real, it's real fun. It's awesome. God's in it, and you, you just catch it. And there's a buzz, and the spirit's there, and power is there, and it's like, wow, yeah. And other times, it's like washing feet. And it's just menial, feels like. It's hidden. It's hard. It's difficult. It's both. And that's where love is forged as well. It, it's filling communion cups, every little cup with juice. Somebody does that. That's love, right? It's greeting people at the door, running sound. It's serving in our children's ministry knowing that that generation needs to hear about Christ because they're not hearing it out there, right? It's serving. How are you doing living in? What is God saying? Let's pray.